It's the intersection of politics and economics, the difference. I'm Dan O'Donnell, alongside Dave Spano, President and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to it. Tons of economic data this week, Dave. You've also got the Fed raising interest rates yet again, but the guidance seems to be positive. The jobs report indicates that we might have a soft landing after all. I'll be totally honest with you. I don't know what to make of all of this. Yeah, let's think about things in the continuum. You'll remember through law, your law school training, there's a presentation. It's, you know, worst case, base case, best case. People have moved away from worst case scenario, which is a deep, long, protracted recession, to perhaps a soft landing and somewhere in between. So we talk about things that maybe that there isn't going to be one of these things, which is maybe there is a third or fourth option that people aren't talking about, and that is a rolling recession. So you think about, for example, segments or sectors. You know, the real estate market certainly has got slapped around as the Fed continued to raise rates 11 times from zero to five and a quarter percent. I mean, that is substantial in a short amount of time. But maybe it's going through different segments and saying, all right, we're going to hit the, the housing markets, then we're going to hit the auto industry, and maybe it moves its way through, and it's not a typical recession where things get really banged around and markets retract by 20 or 30 percent. But you look at history, you know, anytime that the Fed tightens this much this fast, it leads to a major slowdown. Anytime that you have an inversion of the yield curve to the extent that we have three months over 10 years. And of course, we have a checklist and seven of the eight are negative other than the job. So there's a lot of cross currents that are happening right now. So I guess, what is the base case? What is the, the, the base case that you see right now? Yeah, the base case right now is that inflation is stickier than, of course, the Fed wants. And they then, of course, perhaps make a mistake. So Powell just won't get off this idea of 2% is their target rate. And maybe he's trying to jawbone this thing down. But right now, you look at all the factors that went in to causing this inflationary environment. Number one, of course, is the increase of money supply by a significant amount. Think about, you know, the 40% increase of M2 supply. And then you think about what happened with the supply chains and really what we're going from globalization to more of onshoring. You know, a lot of that stuff that came from China certainly was disinflationary. And so you think about buying a television, it used to be 2000 and came down to $500 cars and autos and all of those things, that was disinflationary. So that is changing. And if that changes, it's probably going to be above target rate. So you're going to have inflation that's stickier, which means that the Fed is going to stay at a higher rate, 5%, for longer if they continue to raise rates, now they say they're, you know, suggest that they're going to pause here. If they continue to raise rates, I will assure you they will break something and you will see it and you've seen it in the banking industry. What happened with the banks? Of course, higher interest rates put a lot of these loans underwater and that's what caused the banks to be in big trouble as well as their balance sheets. If they raise rates and continue to do that because they're stuck on 2% and they get entrenched in that, they will break something and then we'll have a problem. If they pause and let all of these rate hikes go through the market and start to slow things down in a normal situation, then we could be okay. And what do you do with that? You go, all right, how do I position my portfolio mm -hmm. to take advantage of that?
And I know we talk about positions that you can take, not trying to time the market, but it, it's very difficult, I think, to to sort of know what to do next when mm -hmm. there is this much uncertainty. I guess I, I was talking on the radio this week about how I feel as though there was there's more uncertainty now. I feel now, granted, I didn't have as many investments because when the Great Recession hit, I was 24, 25 years old, something like that. And, you know, I had a, a new baby and all of our money was going into daycare and, you know, home mortgage and car payments and all of that sort of stuff. So I wasn't really thinking as long-term as I did. That is actually when I started investing and investing more heavily because I was told it was such a great buying opportunity. Turns out 15 years later, it sure as heck was. But right now there are so many different ways the market can go. And more importantly, when you're let's say not in my situation where I'm 41 years old, I'm in, in my prime earning years, but someone who is either at retirement age on a fixed income or nearing retirement age, I don't recall there ever being this much uncertainty. It's sort of a paradox, right? At the same time, this is the most predicted recession in world history, but yet no one seems to know with any degree of certainty what's going to happen. How deep are things going to fall? How bad is it going to get? Or might it not be bad at all? Right. So think about a portfolio, if we're just going to do that and say, let's talk about the portfolio, forget about the financial plan and saying what I need out of that. Let's set that aside for a moment. There are several areas that you can invest in. Think about the pie graph. So you've got cash, an opportunity, and you can expand or contract the percentage that you put in cash. That's number one. Fixed income or bonds, you can expand or contract that. In the equity space, you can either go into domestic or you can go in, into international. And then lastly, there's what's called the alternative space. Things like uh, gold would be an example, private equity, so, so on and so forth. And so where do you move your money around in that pie is really when I talk about positioning. And so there is uncertainty, but trying to time the market will for sure be a fool's errand. But what is different today than what happened back in 08, 09 during the great financial crisis is the Fed stepped in and put easy money policy into the market for you know, 13, 14, 15 years. That has changed. That is a significant difference where there is not what used to be called the Fed put. So that's been removed and now you've got capital coming out with quantitative tightening. Major, major difference. No, that's number one. Number two, I talked about globalization, and of course, the inverse of that is onshoring. That is different, that's for sure. Then you talk about debt. The debt that exploded from 08 and 09 to where it is today is off the charts. You know, we've got 32.5, trillion, and listen to this, 50% of the debt comes due in the next three years. That 50% today, Dan, is paying about 1.8, 1.9%. And that was because the government's debt got supported by low interest rates. Now they're going to have to pay market rates triple that. You know, one, it was from 1.8 to probably 4.5%. That is going to put a number on whoever is the president at the next term, no matter who it is, Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever. They are going to have to pay an interest rate under their administration Administration that is going to be a market rate on $33 trillion. That is a game changer. 
and so is working with someone who's working with and for you as a fee-only fiduciary. When we do have periods of incredible uncertainty, you need to have a guide through the proverbial jungle, and that is exactly what Annex Wealth Management provides. Head online to AnnexWealth.com for your free portfolio review, a wealth metric, again, Annex Wealth. Dot com. Someone who's sort of seen as the, the, the sage, well, they call him the Oracle of Omaha for good reason. And he's seen because of the diversity of the portfolio that Berkshire Hathaway owns. When Warren Buffett speaks, it said, markets listen. Yep. He says, the extraordinary period of excessive spending because of primarily pandemic stimulus is over. And now his businesses, at least, are faced with an inventory buildup that they're going to need to get rid of by having sales. He was speaking at his uh, shareholders meeting over the weekend. He said, it's a different climate than it was six months ago. And a number of our managers were surprised. Some of them had too much inventory on order, and then all of a sudden it got delivered and people weren't in the same frame of mind as earlier. Mm -hmm. Now we will start having sales when we didn't need to have sales before. Yep. Does that? Can you reasonably interpret this to mean, okay, people have sort of run out of the excess money that they were getting because of COVID stimulus and the like, and are now because of rising interest rates and, and maybe you know, their company is no longer matching the 401k or, yeah, but, no, know, let's go back. Let's go back one step. And, yeah, and how, sure. how did they get there? They got there because they couldn't get the stuff from China. It was on yes. some ship right. hanging out. All right. So now they couldn't get it. And so they said, we're going to take everything that yeah, we can put our hands on. And so they built up this inventory. And so now all of the inventory came in. And at the same time, the demand is starting to fall off because of what the Fed is doing. So you think about the Fed looking backwards. So they kept interest rates low far too long, caused an inflationary environment. Now they're tightening at a time that the inventory is coming back in. And that's not a unique to Buffett's portfolio. That is certainly across every small business. I talked to a contractor the other day. Couldn't get doors for 10 months or 12 months, or I couldn't get certain products or windows. Well, now they're all available. Prices are coming back down. So that's one. So there is no question there's an inventory mismatch. We saw this coming. You and I talked about this several months ago. But look at the rest of Buffett's portfolio. What is he doing? He's overweighting energy. That's something that he hasn't done. He took a big position in OxyP to Occidental Petroleum. And so that is what they are starting to do. And they think about where the opportunity set is. There has been a capital underweight in energy for a significant amount of time for a lot of reasons, some of them political. When you had Biden say, I, I intend to put these oil companies out of business, so they stopped putting money back in. They didn't put in R&D. But guess what? That is still here. There's still an underweight in energy. And at the same time, you have a demand for electric vehicles, Dan, and they can't get the batteries. So how are they going to do that? You think about what's happening in California to get the natural resources to build the batteries. There are places that allow an opportunity. There are some places that I would underweight, and that's what we keep talking about positioning. Go through that and make sure you're not underweight or overweight in a position that you can't get out of. Are we still in a banking crisis? Yes. I I'm Okay, yes. well, that was simple. All yeah. right, we can wrap up the podcast yeah. uh, because I'm looking at the, the ongoing battle over PacWest, yep. and every time another bank is hoovered up by J.P. Morgan Chase or has to go into receivership or whatever it is, 
I'm 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 hearing okay well this is a totally unrelated uh, you know it's just a random thing that no it keeps happening when you've got banks with portfolios and and yep. geographic locations as diverse as the ones that have already gone under of course signature and SVB Sil yep. Silicon Valley Bank which kicked this off a couple of months ago when you're getting mid-sized banks, which is sort of a misnomer, isn't it? I mean, yep. these are huge banks. Yep. I mean, the-, the But they're not They're not too big to fail. That's the difference. Well, right. right. And they're remember- big enough, They're big enough to be bought at that's close it. out prices. That's the point. That's the point. So is there a backstop in the big banks too big to fail? They're standing there. And of course, JP Morgan is going to get too big in just period, too big period at some point. If they're going to buy all of these banks up, that's number one. And number two, even is someone- left as Senator Warren said, let's be real, of course they're backstopped. There is an unlimited backstop. So that's not good, right, either. And that's right. what she said. She said, yeah, the Fed's going to backstop all this stuff, despite the Fed saying that, you know, they're not, they can't come to save everybody every single time. So yes, the banking crisis is still here, but how it's managed. And by the way, you heard Powell talk last week that he said personally it was his fault that there was not supervision of those banks because the Fed is in charge of those banks. So that's not going away. There's no question about that. But think about how we started this podcast, that there is likely a rolling recession and going through these sectors and saying what sectors are getting hit, what of those have already gone through the contraction, and where is the opportunity? And that's why we're going to continue to talk about this banking crisis, because it is here. And anytime you hear Janet Yellen say, or another Fed chairman, and it was Bernanke last time, that said, nothing to see here, you better look. You know, that's great advice, right? What, what, what did Reagan always say? Trust but verify. Right. I think more accurately in 2023, it's sort of have a healthy amount of distrust and always verify because I, I'll be honest with you, the uh, Treasury Department, the Federal Reserve over the past two years with the way they handled inflation, have, at least for me, I'm not speaking for you, Dave, yeah. but they have, they have, I mean, they have earned my distrust. Yeah. I have, I have, I operate with a position that, okay, they're lying for political. And there's one more, and let me just jump in before we cut out here. There is one more coming, and right now, this is brinkmanship on what's going to happen with this debt ceiling. And while they're going to do, these two political parties are going to blame each other if they can't pay a Social Security payment to 60 six million Americans. The Republicans are going to say the Democrats did it, and the Democrats are going to say the Republicans did it, and at the end of the day, everyone's going to get screwed. So this is going to be a very important conversation as we go forward. And we will, of course, continue having that conversation right here on The Difference. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. For Dave Spano, President and CEO of Annex Wealth Management, I'm Dan O'Donnell. Annex Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. Opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect those of Annex Wealth Management, its producers, hosts, or guests. The host of the podcast is compensated for his endorsement of Annex Wealth Management. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risks. Neither Annex Wealth Management nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.